This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to a 5K mini-sode of the Movie Marathoners podcast, where we would discuss topics that we don't think can fill up a whole marathon episode. I'm your host, Mati, and Ian wasn't really able to join us today, but joining me is my girlfriend, Allie. Hello. Hi. So I've brought you up a couple times on the podcast, and I'm excited to get to have you on to talk about your opinions firsthand. Today, we'll be running through two pieces of media that both tell the stories about powerful women and criticizing our political landscape. The first is the HBO comedy series Veep, which aired its series finale last Sunday. And the second is the Netflix documentary Knock Down the House. We will be talking about these things in their entirety, so be warned that there are likely going to be spoilers for the season finale of Veep and Knock Down the House. With that being said, let's get started. So the first thing I'll do is read a synopsis of Veep. And that's just former Senator Selena Meyer finds that being vice president of the United States is nothing like she hoped and everything that everyone ever warned her about. Veep stars Julia Louise Dreyfus and was created by Armando Iannucci. And the synopsis of Knock Down the House is just a very quick, a look at the people involved with various political campaigns during the 2018 U.S. congressional election. Knock Down the House, quote unquote, stars Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and is directed by Rachel Lears. So let's talk first about Knock Down the House. Does that sound good? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So you're the one that asked me to watch this documentary. Uh, Why was that? What did you like about this documentary? Well, I think at first, um, similar to a lot of people, I was kind of put off by AOC just uh, because of her aggressive presence on Twitter. And so all of what I was seeing was this young person who was supposed to represent my generation kind of in a Twitter battle with the President of the United States, which to me didn't come off so well. But after kind of looking more into her policies and seeing more videos of her surface from Congress and from certain questionings and trials that are currently going on, um, I started to, to grow to like her and I wanted to know more about her. And after watching this documentary specifically, I think it definitely shed a lot of light on her life and intentions and her rise to power and really opened my eyes to a lot of what's going on currently in politics. Cool. So did you like the documentary? Yeah. I mean, it. I, I don't know if I would... I guess it definitely is a documentary, just be, by definition of a documentary. Yeah, it's a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> don't make fun of me. <laughs> but I found it to be more of a story, just kind of like like a Dateline 2020 type of thing, where it kind of told okay. you about a current problem. Whereas when I think of a typical documentary, I think about like saving oceans or saving whales. I guess that's the same thing. Saving oceans and saving whales are the same <laughs> thing. A little bit, yeah. Well, yeah, but this was more of 
just like a rundown of what's currently happening in politics, which I really liked. And it was a little bit different. I think I really enjoy documentaries, as I'm sure Mati has talked about on past podcasts. (laughs) No, because he hates me. Um, No, So I really enjoy documentaries, but this one was a bit different than the ones that I usually watch in that it wasn't just a brain dump of information. It was more of a story. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So Rachel Lear started this documentary literally the day after Donald Trump's election. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. Um, And just to clarify for people who haven't seen it, it does follow four women uh, as they kind of run for Congress, right? Amy Villela from Nevada, Cori Bush from Missouri, and then Paula Jean Swearingen from West Virginia. Close enough. (laughs) What what is it? Do you know what it is? No, I I think it's Swearingen. Swear again? Swear again. Okay, well, something I I actually don't know. I shouldn't well, speak. There's an knowing. HBO show called Deadwood that I'm watching right now, and there's a person in there with the last name Swearingen, and they say it is Swearingen. So fair enough. Anyways, yeah. So besides Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, all these other women are are uh, profiled too, and they're they kind of follow them from the early decision to run, and then kind of why they're running, and then ultimately up to the the results of the election of 2018, and Spoiler alert, (laughs) everybody loses besides Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So I think it's pretty incredible that they chose AOC as one of the four women. I think that's incredibly lucky (laughs) because not only did she win, but she's also become kind of a sensation, a superstar. I think that's kind of one of the most exciting things about this documentary is that you get to see AOC on the campaign trail, what she was like before she was AOC. You get to see I mean, I mean, you see her just walking down the street and knocking on house doors and asking for signatures. You see her interacting with people before she had this massive media following and everything like that. I thought that was uh, very insightful into how she was able to get to the position that she is now. Well, I think what I like the most of seeing that is that even with the position she's in now, not much has changed and actually nothing has changed in mm-hmm. terms of her views, the way she approaches challenges, the way she discusses important problems in politics. It's all stayed the same, at least according to this documentary, from day one up to this point when she has millions of followers and has garnered national attention from several news outlets on a daily basis. Um, she's still acting and speaking in the same way that she did when she w- was first starting to gather her signatures to run. Yeah, I think that's really insightful and uh, a good a good look. It's it's almost kind of like a peek behind the curtain of who she is, and it and it shows that she's not really putting on an act or anything like that. She was she was always the way she is now, and I think that this made me admire her even more than I already do. What's really interesting about this documentary is that it it focuses on three other women who are also equally as passionate about their positions and equally as incredible and power. Uh, I don't know, powerful, but um, admirable. Um, I really liked getting to see how each of them approached the situation that they're in. And the thing that we should should mention, just in case people haven't seen it, is that this is more, it's less about political parties. Uh, they happen to all be Democrats, but the, this is all about the primary elections. It has nothing to do with, you know, Democratic versus Republican. It, it's, it's more talking about the systematic problem in our political party system where People who are in power maintain power, and people who want to challenge the status quo are unable to do that. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I I didn't really pick up on any 
divide between parties at all. I right. mean, if anything, it focused completely on the fight within Democrats. Right. Yeah, that's what so I'm I saying. So I think, yeah, yeah. So I think that the documentary appeals or can appeal to a lot of people and that it doesn't address any political issues. It addresses the bigger problem of career politicians where, you know, couple hundred years ago, it was just a lawyer was fed up with the way things were and decided to run for Congress. And that was acceptable. Or a mother decided to run for, or I guess not a mother, but you know, a father decided to run for Congress, a random, a, a firefighter decided to run for Congress. But unfortunately, now in today's society, it's politician is a career path. And so you're finding yourself, normal people are finding themselves um, represented by a career politician rather than someone who actually understands the problems that they're going through. And so why can't a mother or a father run for Congress nowadays? The, the documentary does a really good job of explaining the process of being put on the ballot and how much time and money and effort it takes mm -hmm. to actually do this, uh, where it kind of does have to be your career. And the result of that is that uh, laws and policies are made by people who actually haven't been in your situation in quite some time. And um, one thing AOC repeats over and over again throughout the documentary is that average working class people deserve to be represented by an average working class person. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what she is and what Cori Bush is and and Paula Jean Swearingen or however you want to say that. Swearingen. <laughs> Swearingen. Swearingen. And Amy Valella. And they're able to directly address problems that they've Great encountered. Great job remembering all those names, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. How could I forget? Inspirational women. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, the other thing that this documentary does really well, I think, is show that people just kind of have a habit of continually reelecting these, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, like career politicians, career politicians, longstanding people, just because, you know, you know, they, I don't want to say they don't know any better, but uh, they, they don't know any better. People will just kind of do the same thing that that they've done for years. And that's how somebody like these powerful people that uh, AOC and these other women are running against can stay in power. They almost don't really know. They don't really know that their best interests aren't at uh, the heart of the politicians. And I think that this documentary does a really good job of showing that. Well, even more, I think the biggest point with AOC's race particularly, and also with the other candidates' races throughout the country, but with AOC specifically, it's that her opponent, Joe Crowley, had not even been opposed Right in a primary for about a decade prior to that date. So he, he, like, just continuously running unopposed, continuously taking the primaries in a district that's 85% Democrat. It was like he was really the only option. And that was the result of people feeling that they couldn't challenge this career politician with all of this money and all of this backing from huge corporations, which another part I did definitely want to mention that I forget to mention I forgot to mention earlier, AOC refused to take any corporate money. Uh, her campaign was completely grassroots, as were the other candidates. Um, and I didn't realize how big of a deal that was until they kind of highlighted, you know, how much do things cost? She had noted that she didn't even have enough money to gather statistics on her standing in the political race until literally the day before the election. Um, and I just I didn't realize what costs money in a campaign and how much money it costs and why it's so difficult to run without the support of large corporations. I think I've always looked down on politicians who are being controlled by other people's interests, but it's almost like you have no choice. It's very rare 
um, as we see in the documentary, for a, a grassroots candidate to actually win. I mean, AOC was one out of five. One, one out of four? One, one out of four, yeah. One out of four. And she actually won. And so if you, I'm sure if you were to gather all of the statistics, it's probably a lot less than one out of four who are able to win with that type of campaign. Yeah, and I think that that's a really interesting point that the the documentary makes is that we, you know, the 2018 election in a lot of ways was a, was a milestone. We had a lot of minorities come into Congress and we had a lot of women come into Congress. Woo. But what this documentary shows is that there are so many other people that, you know, this this is a small step, but there it's an uphill battle and there's a lot more that needs to be done. And I think watching a documentary like this is sort of, um, in a way, it's sort of like baby's first intro into politics. Um, you You learn a lot very quickly and it's very accessible. Even for people who, like myself, aren't aren't super well versed in, you know, the political sphere. <laughs> <laughs> so um, wrapping up here, I just want to ask you, as far as the film goes, as far as um, the the merits of the filmmaking, how much of this film do you think is predicated on the superstar that AOC becomes? Do you think this the success of this documentary would have would have been as high as it is? If um, they had chosen a fourth person who wasn't AOC and, and it ended up, you know, somebody else that either either won and didn't become the kind of star that AOC is or they picked somebody that also happened to lose. Because in, in a lot of the marketing on Netflix, when you look at the poster, they very prominently feature AOC because, you know, she's a recognizable star. What do you think about that? That's a good question. I mean, I think the documentary in itself would have been equally as powerful if AOC hadn't won. But that being said, the publicity it received from being associated with her, like, I don't know if I would have come across it to begin with. I probably would have, just knowing my interests and what I look for to watch on Netflix. But... <laughs> but do you think you know, watch, generally? Yeah, watching it, I am, after seeing that documentary, I am still astonished that she was able to take down Joe Crowley. And I'm still absolutely astonished that she was able to make it to Congress. So I think her win wasn't what did it for me. It was the fights that these women were taking on. Like these mothers, you know, minority women were taking on these huge politicians. And that for me was the most impactful part. That was what drew me in. And like, I was really, I was rooting for these women regardless of whether or not they won. And when the documentary revealed that they didn't, I was heartbroken. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. I was like, oh, so the it. Yeah, the power of the documentary comes from, you know, whether you're Democratic, Republican, Independent, none of the above. The power comes from seeing these minorities, because unfortunately, women in Congress are very much minorities. It, mm -hmm. it comes from seeing these women take on an unimaginable battle for incredibly personal reasons with nothing but good intentions and even if you disagree with their policies there's no disagreeing that their intentions are pure um, and that was the power of the documentary for me definitely helps that AOC won because there was a lot there's a lot of focus on AOC consoling the other women after their losses because yeah. the the four of them were friends and it was a very communal fight against the overall body of politics in the US currently and like that was what I liked about it. It's not that AOC won. It's the fact that these inspirational women feel that they now are empowered enough to take on this fight. Okay, awesome. 
So that was Knock Down the House, and it's on Netflix. Ali and I, I think, both recommend that you you seek this one out if you haven't already. 11 out of 10, but I'm biased. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about um, a politician who happens to be a woman that isn't that great of a person, right? (laughs) So Veep stars Julia Louise Dreyfus playing Selena Meyer, who at the start of the series is uh, the vice president of the United States, which apparently is like world shittiest job because you basically have no power and you're just kind of twiddling your thumbs, right? Um, According I just, to the show. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I mean, maybe I, real I, life. I don't know what Mike Pence has actually done. Yeah, I really, I really hope that he doesn't. Anyways, I want to rattle off a couple stats here. For people who who don't know about Veep, I'm not sure if if you know these either, but in its total run, it's it's been seven seasons, and it's been nominated for 17 Emmys. It got six consecutive Emmy noms for Best Comedy Series, and it won three of those over the course of its six six current seasons. It got six consecutive Emmy wins for uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus for Best Actress in a Comedy, and then the other major Emmy nominations were five consecutive Emmy nominations for Tony Hale for Best Supporting Actor, and he plays, um, starts with the G, Gary. <laughs> uh, and he ended up winning two of those. So we've watched a show in its entirety together. What do you think about this show? Without a doubt, this has got to be my favorite show, I think. Really? That I have watched ever. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, um, why? I mean, it's hysterical. And, and I really... As you know, probably no one else, but as you know, I love politics. <laughs> <laughs> I like being right. So that's uh, not really. Politics isn't a great place to do that. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yep. Um, so that's a little bit of a slippery slope. Um, but one thing that I've always hated the most about politics is that our country has this way of dividing Democrats and Republicans and one is right and one is wrong. And in V. Everyone's wrong. That, um, but I am not entirely sure that they have ever mentioned a party name without like they have. It might have been like in passing, like just because you have to throw the buzzwords out there. Um, But I have consistently wondered since season one, uh, what party is Selena Meyer? Because you can't, she never says it, and you can't really tell. The lines are very blurred. So the part of the funniest, uh, or the funniest aspect of the show for me, is that they take all of these hot topics and they show Selena Meyer's like indecisiveness in choosing a stance and they show her willingness to kind of float between two ends of a solution in order to satisfy a sponsor to satisfy a congressman that she has to make a deal with or yeah it's, it's whatever it's whatever satisfies her or advances her political career yeah right? and so she doesn't take a definitive stance we don't know what party she's affiliated with and by doing that the show is able to poke fun at hot topics without offending anybody, but also by offending everybody. (laughs) And I really love that. I think it's a great way to bring people together. No matter who you are, you look at your actions, your own actions, and you're like, wow, yeah, I unfortunately kind of sound like that. And you look at the (laughs) actions of the opponents too, and you're like, well, maybe it kind of makes sense that they did that or said Mm -hmm. that. And it's just got this way of making you think about the problem that's happening objectively rather than associating it with a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah. 
I think um, if I can talk a little bit about my thoughts on the show, I also really, really love this show. I think it's incredibly witty and smart. I think even if you're, again, I'm going to say I'm not politically savvy, uh, some of the stuff may kind of go over my head a little bit, but it's still incredibly enjoyable to watch and it's it's very biting. It does follow the HBO model of, you know, Entourage or Silicon Valley of or Sex in the City of let's pick this this group of people or coworkers or whatever and just watch them interact with each other. And usually these people are very nasty to each other. This show in particular uses some <laughs> very colorful language and that uses that colorful language in consistently uh, imaginative ways. You know, just some of the and, and and it's not it's not realistic dialogue, right? There's there's one character that um, <laughs> just comes out and, and just says the most vile and elaborate of horrible imagery, and it's just so funny because it's almost like turning all this cussing into some sort of poetry. And uh, it's it's always fun to just watch and, and see. Oh, who's gonna say something that I've I've never heard before? And it's kind of throughout that. It, it never falters in that throughout the series. Yeah, I don't think there's such thing as cheesy comedy in this. Like, I am consistently surprised by what comes out of the characters' mouths. And I'm never like, oh, wow, that was corny. Or I totally saw that coming. And maybe you, you see something coming, but it's not in a way where you're disappointed. And I feel like it's very difficult to do that nowadays because there is so much content on television. But Veep has sustained the wow factor, I think, from day one for me. Yeah. I think something that also surprises me about this show is that so many of these characters are terrible people, but I love all of them. I love watching all of them. There's nobody that I, uh, you know, just at least off the top of my head, I don't, I don't care for the Finnish embassy woman, ironically, I guess. Ironic. Yeah. Does everybody know that Mati's Finnish? I guess they do now. You couldn't um, tell from his first name. <laughs> I don't know if that actress is Finnish, but Minna? she- Minna? Is that a Finnish name? Yeah, it's, it's not pronounced correctly. It's Minna. But, um, oh, excuse me. You know, anyways, it uh, doesn't really matter. I, I think she's a little bit of a drag on the show. But other than that, even when these characters are being vile and repulsive and selfish, it is so fun to watch them uh, just be on screen and interact with each other and call each other shitheads. And that's, you know, it's Well, you have to think that that's how it goes down in real life. Like, there are definitely parts of, oh, of the show where I'm like, I guarantee that this has happened. I guarantee this is what a behind the scenes negotiation looks like. Yeah, the the other thing that the the show doesn't shy away from is blatant sexism, um, in the sense that you know she is she is not treated well as as a woman in Washington, and I think that's very um, intentionally biting, you know, in this time period, I suppose. You know, I completely get what you're saying, and I think that it's very interesting, and I do think this is a direct choice by the show to. Selena Meyer is a very powerful woman. That's how they present her. She's firm in her views. She's very driven and very set in what she wants, yet she's just consistently kicked down. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a great message to send where, like, it's not her fault that everybody's working against her and these men are forming alliances behind her back. And I I think it's nice because it's very easy to think that a woman is allowing others to walk all over her. So the juxtaposition between her treatment versus her personality is interesting to me. And I almost like it. It's like the sexism isn't offensive to me as it would be in maybe some other shows because they are portraying her as very powerful, yet still showing the gender divide in Washington. Right. And when she when she is uh, being treated 
poorly. She she treats them poorly back. It's almost like fighting fire with fire thing. So it's yeah. it's not. It makes you go ooh, and then she'll say something right back that it's just like oh. But uh, I do I do want to mention that you, you say that it's not really her fault that everyone's against her, and I I, I do disagree with that a little. She's she's a very, she's a a very little bit terrible of a person. <laughs> I would never say that, <laughs> but she is incredibly spineless. Uh, she does not. She wants power. She wants the illusion of power, but she always makes other people do her dirty work. And I think the way that that is shown best is in her relationship with Gary. She consistently abuses Gary. She has Gary take the fall for several things. He, she has him break up with people that she doesn't want to be in a relationship with anymore, things like that. And it, it shows that these people, not specifically just Selena, but the people uh, that have these ridiculous political, not ridiculous, but incredibly large political aspirations can often be just not good people <laughs> yeah i mean well that's obvious but yeah. it's um well, what's sorry. important to note, <laughs> well it's important to note there is like she is mean yeah and it's mean. not it's not that she's mean as a woman it's that she is a woman acting in the same way that every single other person in the show is and every right. other politician man and woman alike are using people in this way and treating people in this way it's like she just blends in with the men so like i i said she was a little bit of a bitch earlier that's actually like not a correct term to use because it's not just her it's everyone she's a, she's a jerk they're all jerks yeah, yeah. and so like, she goes if, toe-to-toe with their jerkiness <laughs> yeah so if, if we're talking about um gender's role in politics and gender's role in this show i don't think her being spineless or being mean really does anything for the message of sexism because they're showing oh yeah no that's yeah. that's not what i was saying I, I i was just saying that from a character sp- perspective i think that a lot of her downfall is brought on by her own selfish accents yes actions but me. um you can do all of that and still be represented as powerful right, which right. She is it's just the way she's acquired power is filthy in nature which is representative of career politicians right so let's talk a little bit about some of the other characters. There's a very colorful cast in this. Do you have a favorite character? Undoubtedly. Uh, Gary, I okay. believe I just learned, is played by Tony Hale. I don't know the names of any of these actors. I'm very bad <laughs> at this. Um, yeah, Gary is without a doubt my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, so I guess for the listeners who don't know, Gary is Selena Meyer's bag boy. And by that, I mean, he literally carries around this like 10, 20 pound purse with <laughs> hand sanitizer and cashews and uh, lipstick and just anything she might possibly able, uh, possibly might need throughout the day. And, you know, anytime Selena is thirsty or hungry or needs a makeup touch up or needs an outfit change or literally anything gary is right there and one of my Mm -hmm. absolute favorite things that he does is he since he's constantly by her side when she's interacting with other politicians or with people for charity work he's always in her ear so you'll have maybe like the the uh, leader of china walking towards selena meyer and gary will whisper in selena's ear he has two children that just graduated high school (laughs) and then with 
like no hesitation, nothing at all. Selena will walk right up to the president, shake their or right up to the leader, shake their hand and ask about the children. And this happens throughout the entire series where even with her own daughter, uh, Selena's daughter's name is Catherine. And Gary will even be in Selena's ear whispering facts about Catherine, Catherine's special interests, things that like a mother should objectively know about their daughter. I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of political satire I've ever seen in my life. And I think that character very well could have been so cheesy, so corny, so annoying, but Tony Hale executes it so well. And I don't think anyone could have played Gary except for him. One of my favorite things about Gary is that it is painfully obvious that he has some not so secret love for Selena. Yeah. And he kind of wistfully thinks about one day she's going to realize that and they're going to fall in love or something like that. But she clearly has nothing like that for him. And in a different show, maybe a show that's not on HBO, that may happen. You know, the series finale may end and they end up together and Selena realizes that, you know, he was there for her through everything and he's... The, the reason that she has all this success and they fall in love and everybody lives happily ever after, right? That is not what happens. Let's talk a little bit about that series finale. I'll, I'll just quickly say that my favorite character in this show is Jonah Ryan. Oh, yeah, that's a very close second. Yeah, for me. he is, he is so an funny. intern that um, falls up somehow to get to the point where he is seriously running for president in the seventh season of the show. And he is a tall, lanky little white kid. And, you know, just knows nothing about. Politics. Yeah, he is the embodiment of male white male privilege. And which we think is on purpose. Well, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just a horrible person, says all sorts of horrible things. But people back at him say horrible things. They treat him like absolute crap. He's kind of the laughingstock of Washington. And it is just so funny to come see what sort of colorful ways they have to insult Jonah Ryan. And I, I love that character and, and how he kind of develops throughout the season. Falling up is kind of a thing that happens with quite a few of the characters in this show. And I think that's really funny. But let's talk a little bit about the season or the series finale. What do you think about this series finale? I know that a lot of series finales can be very divisive in the sense that some people, you know, some people look for a series finale to elevate the entire thing and be like, wow, this was incredible and it's leaving the series on such a high note. And then it can also completely disappoint you, right? A series finale can be, you know, you can just be like, wow, this retroactively makes the whole series not worth it. And then it can just be kind of fine, right? Do you have any thoughts on what the series finale was like for you? Using those descriptions, I think it was just fine. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely wasn't disappointed. I wasn't necessarily wowed either. I think... With a show like this, it had so many seasons of such a strong following. Um, it was a very strong show. I think the directors and producers knew that, and they wanted to give the audience what they wanted. And so mm -hmm. the series finale was like pretty much everything you thought was going to happen, of course, with their unique spin on it. So there was still those <laughs> funny lines and funny phrases. Um, but it's like everything that they had been alluding to throughout the series just, you know, played out and it was a great way for me to feel at peace with the series ending like I, I know everything I don't have any questions left um, but I wasn't disappointed at all so it was it was like a nice farewell actually kind of 
similar to the Americans, if anyone's watched that, with that series finale where it just it puts everything to rest. It makes you feel good going to bed. You know, <laughs> nobody's hurt. Well, I guess oh, in, in Veep, actually. Spoilers. Someone gets hurt. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, spoilers for Americans. In the exact way <laughs> that you thought that they'd be hurt. Yeah, I kind of will just echo that sentiment. I thought that, you know, it was really funny. It played tribute to a lot of different plot lines in the show, and it wrapped everything up really nicely. I think I ended up maybe liking it quite a bit more than you did, just because I'm used to television series finales kind of letting me down. And I thought that this one did a very good job of wrapping things up nicely. Yeah, but one of the I ways, completely agree with that. I don't think it let me down at all. It was, it was everything that I wanted to see in a season finale. Yeah. One one of the ways that it kind of quickly wrapped things up, though, and I think that was one of your criticisms right after we watched it, is that it, it did feel a little rushed. And the reason for that is because there's two time jumps in it, right? So Yeah, I did not like that part. Yeah. Of it. But it's still like, I'm fine. But I didn't yeah, like so, it. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, why didn't you like the time jumps? There's two of them, right? There's the first one that happens when she she gets back from norway or wherever and then it kind of instantly hops to the democrat or their party's primaries right yeah and then oh actually there's three time hops because then there's another time hop six months later where it, it shows her that she has won the presidency and then there's another one that's 25 years later or something like that and it shows that she has died and everybody kind of reunites for her funeral so did none of those? Did you not like any of those time jumps, or were there some that you liked? What just what do you what do you feel about those time hops? I, it's not that I didn't like them. I think so. How long is the series finale? It's like an hour and a half, right? No, it's like forty minutes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, it's like forty I think. minutes. No, it's definitely longer than forty minutes. I think you should look it up. All right, go ahead Regardless, and keep talking. I'll look it up. Yeah. So I think it seemed like. At first, it was just a continuation of the last episode. Like, it, it was telling the story, like, very much like the whole series did, where one episode loops into the next. And then for me, it felt like the last five minutes was just like, oh, quick, like, let's throw in what happens when she dies. So it was like the disproportionality of the time jumps, where they spent the majority of the episode on one topic, continuing the main storyline that was, like, currently in the spotlight. And then at the very end, it was like, also, by the way, X, Y, and Z occurs. Right. I mean, but... So, well, so if they had more evenly spaced it, I guess I don't know what they would have put in there, but so, I just didn't like how literally right at the end of the episode, it's like, oh, by the way, she dies. Which yeah, we knew, so but... let me ask then that, would you have rather it gone on for a couple more seasons to fill in the gaps or how, oh, how no, would no, no, you no, have no, preferred no. it to end? I would have preferred it to maybe not be what felt like 75% of the episode just continuing as usual and then 25% wrapping it up. I would have preferred Uh, it to maybe continue as usual for like the first 20 minutes or so and then maybe the entire second half because really they wrap things up in the last five to eight minutes of the episode. Like, that's the true series finale, finale, and the rest is just a continuation of, like, what had already been happening. So um, when I was watching it, I was pretty confused at first of, how how is this a finale? I don't understand. Yeah, so I can't find the length of it, but, you know, if you say it's more than 40 minutes, I, I believe you. I think it was maybe, like, 42 minutes, but that's fine. That's longer than 40 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, I I didn't care too much for the the first couple of flash forwards. To me, that seemed like they kind of just wanted the series uh, the series to be over. And I think uh, they easily could have mined another season's worth of material to get her to the point where she was finally president. But I did really like the the flash forward and and seeing the kind of the ultimate comeuppance that she gets that like no one really cares that she's dead. Um, <laughs> I thought that that was very fitting a very fitting end to this character and i think in general this this finale well, someone cared right Gary. yeah do you want do you want to talk about that yeah so what do you how do you feel about the what unfolds for gary in this uh series finale am i supposed to spoil it yeah yeah we can spoil it okay well so spoiler warning i guess yeah spoiler alert um, I started off this with saying <laughs> th- essentially throughout the entire series Gary is like the ultimate wingman where he will 100% take any fall for Selena and Selena knows it and Selena is not afraid to take advantage of that and to just use and abuse him and this is something that continues through the entire series right up until the end um, when Selena is caught in some sort of financial scandal and someone's got to take the fall for it so that she can become the president and she goes out of her way to set Gary up with a position that will allow her to blame him for this financial scandal. And the finale ends with Gary going to jail for quite some time as the result of this scandal that was actually Selena's ex-husband's fault. So Gary goes to jail and then at the very, very end... He shows up to her funeral with her favorite lipstick and lays it on her casket. And I thought that that was just a beautiful ending because the entire series, Gary, no matter what (laughs) Selena says or does, Gary is by her side with unwavering loyalty. I actually think it's a great tribute to the unwavering loyalty that we talked about earlier when we were talking about Knock Down the House, about people just blindly following what they know. No questions. Huh. Yeah, so Gary is by her side. Like, this is a terrible person who has literally lended nothing to Gary's life, only taken away. Yeah, And he's still there supporting her and loving her. And I really love that the show stuck to its guns in Gary's personality and character. It's very consistent. Yeah, Um, I agree with that. And that honestly was a satisfying end of like, oh, he's still there. He still doesn't hate her, even though like everyone thought that Gary would take a bullet for Selena. And then he metaphorically did. And was happy to. Right. And I think Selena ultimately betraying Gary is kind of the last uh, straw in her morality bundle, I guess, or whatever. You know, like her betraying Gary, you can tell that, you know, she betrays all sorts of people. She throws people under the bus. Dan gets fired. Amy gets fired. All this stuff. But Gary's always kind of by her side. And you can tell. And I think Julia Louise Dreyfus does a really good job of showing that. She is clearly remorseful for what she did to Gary. When when she sees the FBI agents taking him away, you you can see that she's a little conflicted by it. So I thought that that was a, a nice little touch. I want to read something that Tony Hale said in a Hollywood Reporter interview, and I'm not going to quote it. But I'm just going to you know paraphrase. And he said that Selena making Gary the fall guy was kind of the the greatest gift that Selena could have given to him. Because that was going to be the thing that finally sets him free. And he was kind of stuck in this cycle of abuse and this horrible relationship. And no matter what she did to him, if it wasn't this severe, if it wasn't him going to jail for a very, very long time, he was never going to break out of that. 
And it was sort of like after this, he was able to move on and but was he? break away. He still I, he showed up to her funeral with the lipstick that he knew she would have wanted to wear. Yeah. I think it it shows his like even with this extreme of a break, well, it shows that's his a super, loyalty. That's a super depressing ending then. <laughs> like Yeah, but that's Gary as a character. Yeah. It's depressing how blindly he'll follow this person no matter what she does to him. He's yeah. an ultimate wingman. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So I guess we can we can wrap up here, but the one thing that I wanted to point out in this kind of 25 years from now is that Richard Splatt is the president <laughs> of the United States oh, at this time. Wait, I forgot he was a character. I really love yeah. He might be. I think he's up there with Jonah and Gary as my favorite. Yeah, he's he's very funny. I also That's a phenomenal character. I also love what's his name, the ginger that is just an idiot Mike. He is yeah, so Yeah, no, funny. I'm not. I'm like definitely not a fan of oh, Mike's character. I, I, I think I he's kind of gross and annoying and I want him to go home. <laughs> okay. But anyways, I, I liked that uh, Richard Splatt ended up becoming the president of the United States because it shows that as, you know, biting and critical of American politics that this show is, it still says that Richard, you know, he is one of the truly great people. He's he's a genuine, kind person, and he's clearly doing things out of the goodness of his heart instead of with some political agenda. It shows, I think, at least um, when he's president at the end, that there is a place for that in American politics. I think so, it's the show's optimistic ending. Yeah. So, and I felt very happy with that. Like, I felt like everything came together. It's like, oh, Richard. Yeah. So even though Selena you. is a horrible person and she gets what she wants and she's president and it shows that, you know, being a conniving, backstabbing person helps you succeed in politics, it it also does kind of have that nice little thing that, well, you know, not everything's bad and there is a place for genuinely good people. So I really like that as a uh, positive asterisk to uh, Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely their feel good ending. Yeah. I, I can't believe I forgot that Richard existed as a character. <laughs> I mean, this man is just the most genuine person in the entire world who accidentally stumbles his way into politics. And I think the quote of the series, um, he somehow accidentally becomes the governor of Louisiana, is it? I want to say it's Iowa. Iowa, a weird state. Nebraska. One of the ones that people from New Jersey, like myself, don't really always remember but he becomes a All governor right. <laughs> <laughs> he becomes a governor and someone says oh now you know governor split we're gonna need your endorsement for president and he, he goes well, can I endorse them all? They're all equally good people. <laughs> yeah. it's just, it and shows his innocence and his youth in politics and just like his overwhelming optimism, which is refreshing to say the least. Yeah. And for the first half of the final season, he's working on both Selena and Jonah Ryan's campaign, yeah, which quote, I thought was really funny. <laughs> a quote by him, because they're both equally good people. Yeah. Which is just clearly not true because they're both horrible people. Awful. Yeah. So uh, one last question to round this out. Would you ever want to see more from this show? I know that reviving old TV shows is something that's very common right now. Could you see this coming back for a movie or some sort of limited series down the road? Would you want that? Or do you want this to kind of just be the end all? So in terms of Selena Meyer, she ends dead. So obviously that's over. Well, I mean, um, you could you could have a show that is I in the interim. I wasn't done. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, I lost my train of 
thought. No, I got it. So <laughs> Selena's obviously dead, but uh, I wouldn't mind a spinoff with another character. Although the thing is that the finale did such a great job of wrapping everything up that we know where everyone ends up. We know it's like, you know, I felt like it, this was a hard breakup. Like I love this show. I didn't want it to end and it did. So while I would never mind a spinoff, I like the way it's been put to rest. I feel like satisfied emotionally by the ending <laughs> of the show. Like I know where everyone's at and I don't know that I would want, I don't know that I would need to revisit that because I think it would only like the, the first original series was so outstanding. It would only really set me up for disappointment as a viewer. Uh, Cause they really, I mean, they went hard <laughs> in creating yeah. this show. And sure. they did a great job. And I, you know, if they were able to top that, I think it would be one of the best pieces of art in political satire. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, the show could pick up somewhere in that 25 year gap. It doesn't, you know, but you don't Selena's even know what happens. Dead. Well, you know, you know the broad strokes, but you don't know the details. You don't know how, you know, Richard rises to power. But I think I'm, you know, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think I don't care too much for shows being revived still waiting for that friends revival because i think that'd be super fun but other than that i'm uh, agree to disagree we i think we have a very fitting ending to this show and i'm glad how it shaked out and i think all the characters went to exactly where they want to go and i think the creators definitely knew their limits they knew yeah, when they, they didn't had to their welcome yeah when when they had accomplished everything that they could um they went out on a high note and i think that there are, are a lot of shows a lot of movies and like franchises would that be the right word yeah, sure a lot of groups that don't know when to stop and they just keep producing content the for the sake of yeah, yeah for the sake of producing content and veep and the americans and friends um they knew when their time was up mm -hmm. and they went out with class before they started to get cheesy and before they started to get annoying. And because there, there are so many shows that you and I have both stopped watching, you know, Riverdale, for example, where it's like, where are you going with this? What are you doing? Like, this doesn't make sense anymore. You should have just stopped yeah. while you were on top. And this show did. So I don't kind of hope they don't come back with something. But if they do, I will, of course, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Okay. So do you have anything else you want to say? No. Okay. <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I will donate my life savings to your presidential campaign. She's also from Boston University, so go be you. Woo! Okay. Um, so this has been a 5K mini-sode talking about Veep and Knock Down the House. Wasn't super mini, but, you know, a little shorter than we normally go. So, Allie, thank you for joining me today. I hope that we can do this again. Is there anything that you want to plug? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why are you so weird? Um, <laughs> life is more fun that way sure the intro music for this episode is a piece called work by kevin mcleod and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com i think we're going to start using that piece as kind of the theme song for our podcast so please let us know if you like how it sounds or if it's you know awful <laughs> um, if you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes you can follow us on twitter at movie maripod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash moviemaripod. That's movie, M-A-R-A, -A, pod. And Allie asked me to include that <laughs> you can also Venmo her at Allie Slosh. That's A-L-L-Y-S-L-O-S-H. I'm sure she would be happy to donate that money to 
a worthy cause if you actually do contribute it to Venmo. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. All right. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wait, I have something to plug. I changed my mind. Oh, my God. All Everybody right. should stop eating meat because the planet's dying. I'm going to cut that. <laughs> no, don't cut it. I don't I don't support that. But no, I mean, I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, then absolutely do it. Anyways, where was I? Uh, you can always reach out to us at our email, moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at moviemarathoners.podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and now newly on Spotify. So please check us out there. Please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week, where I think what we're going to do is run through Game of Thrones, the final season and the series finale of that as well. You know, it's been a great month for HBO. All right, until then, bye. Go dogs. I hate you. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.